21 CL Radio. Happy Monday morning to you. This is Michael Bull, and I'm your host for the Education Vanguard, where we are on a mission. And that mission, well, is to recognize educational leaders and share their knowledge. Today, I've got Mr. D of the Amerasian American School in Okinawa. What is your identity? Do you spend much time thinking about that today? Maybe yes, maybe no. When you are an ethnically diverse, usually half American, half Japanese student growing up in Japan, chances are you think a lot about your identity. Growing up ethnically mixed in an ethnically homogeneous society like Japan is challenging, complex, and sometimes plain difficult. Unlike the third culture kids, the TCKs we have in our international schools, these Amerasian students are more like second culture kids caught between two worlds. The unique needs of these students motivated a group of parents to start their own school, the Amerasian American School of Okinawa, to address these specific circumstances of these students. Today I talk with Mr. D, who is the ICT director there, and he shares his understanding of the school and how he leverages technology to create a multilingual reading program connected in part by those magical QR codes. Enjoy the conversation. Uh, Mr. D, thanks so much for joining me on the program this morning. It's my pleasure, Mike. So this is cool. You are director of ICT for the Amerasian American School in Okinawa. And today we're going to talk about some of the unique needs of Amerasian students and how you've tied technology into uh, helping them create their own sense of identity, right? Would you say that's what we're doing? That sounds really ambitious, Mike, but I'd love to do that. All right, let's see if we can do that in 15 minutes or so. So (laughs) first, maybe we could start off with what is an Amerasian student and what is your school's relationship to those kids? Yeah, so I'll just I'll go ahead and put the disclaimer out there in the beginning of this uh, dialogue, and then I don't have to repeat it again. <laughs> so I, I think there's a couple of documentation uh, pieces of documentation that exist. Um, one is from the University of Tokyo. Uh, it's a research paper that was recently released. I think it was April 2015, and um, you can get the um, the link on our website. I think it's at the front page of our website, or you can sure. Um, and I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes as well. Yeah, so uh, I think like as they define it there is probably the best sense of it. But um, yeah, our school exists to help students who basically, mm, for, for a lot of reasons, feel like they don't fit into the Japanese national education system. Yeah, and that could be for like, it could be a language reason, it could be an ethnicity reason, um, it could be a socioeconomic reason. Um, but yeah, so we, we're existing to support the educations and... Um, like empower the students who, for some reason, don't fit, feel that they don't fit. Or it, sometimes, w- this is the worst case, but that the system identifies them as not fitting, right? So oh, wow. So it they goes that way. Too. They don't have to be half Japanese, half of another culture, or they do? I mean, given, uh, I, I, mean yeah. I know they don't have to, but given what your mission is, is that really who you tend to have going to the school? There's rumored to be a um, policy-level document uh, that stipulates the percentage and composure of the student population here. So I think uh, we have to show yearly, because we're a nonprofit organization and we've got certain things that we have to um, Mm -hmm. align with in order to keep our status. But yeah, I think uh, there is a certain percentage of uh, students that are stipulated to be under what we define as Amerasian. But even that term itself is a bit um, problematic. 
And uh, then there's like a group that can also be exceptions to that definition. So uh, since I've been here, now how that actually gets applied is a different story. But since I've been here, uh, the year and a half I've been here, I've seen us being very open and very flexible. And basically, like I said a second ago, just helping students um, who feel that they don't fit into the national Japanese uh, school system in, in different ways. So we try to stay open. So what does that mean? I mean, why is there a need for your school in the first place when you say they don't fit into the system? What, is, what does that look like, somebody who's not fitting in? It's a good question. Um, well, what does it look like? I mean, if we take that word and play around with it a little bit, I mean, immediately it looks like uh, people who don't, quote-unquote, look Japanese, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or they look like they should speak English but don't, um, or they look like they shouldn't speak English but do, or <laughs> right? And um, yeah, there's like a number of nuanced words for it. I mean, like the, the you know, there's a lot of uh, words that I won't repeat in English and Japanese that were uh, exchanged, like you know, over the past hundred years in Japan, uh, for this group of people. And then there are some which seem a little better, uh, maybe not. Uh, like I think the word half has become passé recently. Um, uh-huh. I've heard them refer to themselves as uh, mixed roots. Um, double is one I heard, which I thought was awesome. Instead of half double, right? So we multiply, <laughs> multiply the goodness. Right. And I, I was, yeah. And I was in Tokyo the other day uh, talking. And uh, they they said we're remixes, which I thought was pretty awesome. I don't think I've ever heard that term. So no, I hadn't. Do these do, these kids face problems in the in the regular Japanese school system? Racism and ostracized? Are they ostracized and pushed out of of the regular groups? Do you think? See, I don't. It, that's a tough one. I mean, I think there are um, immediate, direct, overt cases of that. You like where where someone mm-hmm. would be bullied, bullied, maybe right? Or you know, uh, it depends on the degree and the frequency. But yeah, I mean, I think there are very much those uh, situations um, all over Japan. Um, and then I think there may be less uh, less obvious situations, mm-hmm. like maybe. Um, more subtle um, sociocultural treatment, like the, the children get um, treated in a certain way, maybe maybe shunned or maybe not included in certain things, right? Mm-hmm. So it's more of a, a more of a um, yeah, more of like a s- subversive or, or covert way of exclusivity, but it's more structural. It's not direct, and that that could be a lot of things. Like um, yeah, this this it could be a word you use to, to refer to someone, an attitude you take toward them. Um, I mean, it could be curricular. Like I'm trying to get back to like the need, right? So the mm-hmm. need the need manifests in sometimes the daily life of the student in a public school in Japan, and then sometimes it manifests in the um, like the ongoing life before and after school, and also on the weekends. You know, like how they fit into their communities or not, right? Um, I kind of want to rewind, like, I want to retreat from this one and, and kind of go back to, like, if you look at national curriculums, right? Right. They're funny. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not in a humorous way, but. <laughs> like, like in a, in a funny in the sense of tragic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, national curriculums are funny. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm painting with a very broad brush here, but, um, yeah, like, if you take, uh, let's see, when Japan was uh, colonially expanding through, uh, Asia, right? And if you look at the, if you look at some of the textbooks from the classrooms around Japan at that time, right, like during the colonial period, mm-hmm. it's it's fascinating because they say like, you know, it's 
the, the, the national, or I think it maybe was officially national or um, functionally it was including the whole country, right? So, uh, yeah, like they're leveraging the ideology that the country needs to get what it sees as its mission accomplished. So like if you go back and look at some of those textbooks, it says, oh yeah, Filipinos, they're part of the, the greater, you know, Japanese empire. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, oh sure, these people in Korea, yeah, they're all, it's, we're all part of this, you know, big family. And mm-hmm. so, right, it's a perverse use of uh, fake multiculturalism in order to get a project of um, imperial expansion done, right? Mm-hmm. Educationally, right, to prep the yeah, I've, that, luckily that's never happened again <laughs> since, since uh, in any place, Absolutely. including uh, where you are and uh, where we both come from. Mm-hmm. So, so, so there's, there's that one, though. But that's the thing that makes it fickle, right? Um, it's it's uh, capricious. Um, that same uh, use of curriculum nationally, right, can also be flipped, right? So let's say after the war, after World War II, um, when Japan is trying to reassess itself and regroup and reform in order to, you know, rebuild and succeed in what it, what it thought is like a new uh, geopolitical industrial era. Um, you know, how do you do that, right? Like the, the military uh, leadership is defeated. The emperor is a symbolic uh, remnant that's yeah, allowed. To, no longer know, a god. Right. But, but, you know, a placeholder. And then, um, you know, how, well, how do we rally the, the nation? So you create a team, right? You make a team. And uh, there's many other way better ways to do that. But um, you make a team and you give yourself a jersey and um, you put yourself in opposition, opposition to other teams, right? And you've got to define what makes you a member of the team or not. And in that case, this is where it's from maybe the, the 40s and 50s on. This is leveraging like way older writing on philosophy and religion and all these other things, but you know, like using them as justifications for it, but saying, yeah, we're, we're a, a, a homogeneous country. Um, we're one people. Um, so you get, then you get uh, textbooks coming out of the curriculum that say quite the opposite <laughs> that they did 100 years before. Okay. Right? So I'm saying, you know, if you use um, national projects as foundations for curriculum, um, you're going to wind up with something that flip-flops every time your nation gets reset, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so, so that's like, the, the, but that's a very real thing, right, Mike? And when you get, like, okay, so say you're a, a multicultural or multi-ethnic child in a classroom, right, in 2000, um, anytime in the 2000s, but especially before, like, 1980s, 1990s, you know, if something is going to become a national curriculum, then the one thing it has to be, uh, the one thing that has to be done to it is normalization, Mm-hmm. You have to normalize something in order to um, scale it, right? So that means the story that you have that's too tangential and that's too, um, you know, it's, it's, it's seen as recursive. Like it's, it's, oh, this doesn't fit our normalization because we've got to smooth it all out in order to, right? We, we can't teach the nuance. So does that right? leave these kids on the margins? Is that what you're saying, the ones we're talking about here? Absolutely. So you find yourself in a classroom and you take a class on Japanese history and realize that the class doesn't speak to your experience. Ah, uh, okay. Right? Even though you were born and raised there, right? Okay. So this, and, your school yeah. then provides that sort of opportunity for them to uh, identify with their identity, so to speak, versus being tr- in the typical school system. Yeah, we try. And it's, I mean, it's a huge undertaking because once you start that, then there's a lot of divergent populations that you know, we, we try to support. 
like you could think of it as like uh, how education happens in, in America, in the States, right? Like, you know, for all mm, the things I might want to say about uh, some, some, some state-based school districts um, teaching what they claim to be um, things that uh, align with the belief systems of certain states. Mm-hmm. Like, that, there's a bad end to it, but then there's also a good end to it. Like, you, there, there is a side that says, oh, yes, well, maybe... Right, you you denationalize, but I don't. I think in America it, it um, plays out in a bad way. Um, I don't. I don't think uh, having states control things um, always mm, supports students who need uh, specialized uh, education and specialized um, curriculum. Um, but anyway, I think it's it's something about that. It's the relationship between uh, national curriculums, which normalize things. And then mm, customized curriculums, right, which address like specific uh, needs, people, places, um, ethnicities, lingualities, um, all that stuff. So, the, yeah, that's our big project, trying to balance that and support that student in their needs. Let, let's talk about that big project that you have so we can bring technology here. So we have your school and we have students sure. who have multiple identities in a sense. And the paper you referred to at the top calls it uh, providing them a double education for so they can identify with uh, their one half ethnically and then their Japanese half ethnically. And yeah. let's talk a little bit about what you're doing with your reading program using QR codes and all that. Can you give us sort of a pitch of what that is and then we can unpack it a little bit? Sure. Uh, so, one uh, yeah one of the ch- one of the challenges is I think time, um, and I, I mean that everybody's pressed for time, but I think um, the to- a lot of the time that our parents and students and teachers have is kind of discontinuous. Um, it's not like you don't have you, you have less time overall, and you have less time that's kind of together, uh, and that's just based on. Um, the structure of the school, um, the way it can support teachers, maybe. It may be based on the structure of parents' lives, like mm, divorce rates are quite high at our school. Um, it could be uh, them working you know, two jobs or more. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it could be the child who, uh, or the student who, um, you know, they're technically registered at a Japanese public school. That's where their registration is, and they come to our school um, as okay. a that's where the school that they're attending, uh, but they have to go back and forth uh, occasionally between those schools. Um, so that's that's time uh, and adjusting, and so like time is a huge challenge for us. Um, so that's that's one, and then the other is yeah, like finding a way to bring the community together uh, from from time and also from distances. So yeah, that was kind of uh, the the bigger drivers, the two big drivers for the program that we were working on. And then the specific example that, uh, you know, triggered it or created the, the situation was just, uh, I think we had a, a first grade teacher and she was teaching a mixed classroom, uh, mixed level classroom, uh, some kindergartners, a first grade group, and then some second graders. And it was only 15 students. That's actually a big class for our school. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> sometimes, yeah, like the smallest classes, I think seven students or six here. Oh, all right. Yeah, it gets quite small, but you know that's that's a lot of things that the teacher has to cover, like acrobatically. Um, and so she was looking for ways that they could um, customize their learning. So uh, yeah, I had been wanting to do um, a project which involved libraries, uh, literacy, QR coding, and 
social networking. And so I think this was, I used the, um, it, was, it was actually a coaching relationship between myself and the teacher. And so we used that to answer um, her needs. So uh, yeah, I just started to create uh, books. I read them and then uh, we QR coded them so students could scan them. And then, you know, she'd have in a classroom, uh, you know, seven different students listening to seven different, seven, seven different books in different languages at different levels, right? Well, so, so just real quick, specifically, yep. the way it works is a student opens the book up, sees the, mm. pulls out their iPad, sees the QR code, scans it, and yep. then can hear the story as they read it. They can hear it, and then we've shifted over now to like videos as well. So we oh. do YouTube, and we do SoundCloud as well. And then we're we're pl- we're playing around with like you know um, uh, subscripts and, and closed captions, and we're doing all kinds oh, of stuff to to really make it fun. So that's that's like how it started. It was just between me and the teacher and her class. That was kind of a coaching kind of closed circle thing. And then um, to address some of the things that we talked about earlier, um, you know, just a few minutes ago, um, I thought it'd be great if we could have students doing it for other students. So in right? a sense, this was unintentional? Um, it was... Um, I mean, the, the results of what you're getting from it, maybe that just sort of evolved and you're pivoting in this direction. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to say I had a master plan. I had some ideas and I was looking for a way for them to kind of manifest. Uh-huh. Um, and this was a great opportunity. But there's, you know, it all came from the, the coaching relationship. Um, and yeah, so luckily through that, things unfolded and kind of flowered. So then now, uh, you know, we, we went through a phase where students, um, I think middle school students, did the same thing. They read books and recorded them, uploaded them to different platforms like SoundCloud or YouTube. And then the younger underclassmen um, read them, watched them. And then they, um, you know, since it's, since it's either on SoundCloud or YouTube, it's a socialized network. So they're sure. liking it and commenting on it. And then we've just expanded it to parents. So they're doing it as well. And then from doing that, uh, we've got basically a community, an all, like all-inclusive community that's generating its own uh, materials for literacy and most importantly, motivations. Because, you know, it's just like the way, um, it's like, Mike, if, if we go to Amazon, right, and like 4,000 people have read this book, mm-hmm. um, that, that means something to me. But it means less than if you had read the book, Mike, and you told me it was good. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, because I, I know you, right? <laughs> right, the, rela- yeah. the power of relationships. Yeah, so it's like those affinity groups, right? Um, so that's a big one. So you can say, oh, look, this parent that I've never talked to before is reading a book that can be used by the whole, the whole class. Um, and, you know, students see that, teachers see that, uh, other parents see that. And then th- through that, um, literacy gets achieved, but you also get a whole lot of um, connected community going on. All right, now, and then that help that helps to solve the time thing and also the kind of distance thing. So I could see where you had some problems with time and uh, the discontinuous time, as you as you said. Yep, yep. And the, you found sort of a social entrepreneurship way to mm. solve that problem. That's what you're doing now. I think that's a good way to characterize it. All right. So final question then: What do you hope? Uh, maybe you don't have this thought out this far, but what do you hope for it to be over the next uh, four or five years or so? That if we were to talk again. Yeah, I want I want the project to. I mean, in four or five years is a long time. I I want it to be yes. um, fully um, fully archived, um, self aware, um, self orienting, open sourced, um, used by um, Amerasians or people who have an interest in the learning of that group all over the world. And then I'd like to have just as many titles as possible in there, um, and hopefully through that. We build up um, like an, an increasingly um, 
clear sense of the diversity of the community and then how that diversity is unified through the learning. That's where I'd like to be in, in four or five years. Well, let me ask you this. Would you want people listening to this show to contact you to be possible readers? Absolutely. It's a completely open call. And, um, you know, we don't ask any questions other than do you want to read? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, um, they can just send me an email is the best way. Um, and if they have a book they'd like to read, that's the most important thing because we want them to be invested in it um, emotionally. So if they've got a book they'd like to read to us, that'd be awesome. Uh, we're mostly looking for um, be- or like early readers and up to maybe like uh, yeah, second or third grade. But it could be in any language um, and it could be on any topic. Um, and we- we'd love to work them into the program. Absolutely. All right, wonderful. I'll make sure I have that uh, information in the show notes. Thanks, Mike. Well, we've been talking with uh, Mr. D. He's the director of ICT for the Amerasian American School in Okinawa. Uh, Mr. D., thanks so much for your time today. Mike, thank you very much. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com. <laughs>